Welcome to another episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. I'm Pat Wright. And on today's episode, Pat, what are we listening to? Well, this is the middle of the three Tudor Queen operas by our beloved composer, Donizetti. Donizetti. <laughs> yes, it's Donizetti's Maria Stuarda. Which is Mary Stuart. Mary Stuart. There. Also known mm-hmm. as Mary Queen of Scots. That's right. Daughter of Catherine, Queen of Aragon. Uh, that's the other Mary, Mary the First. She's the granddaughter of Henry VIII's sister. Now, all this time, I was thinking that she was... No, her nickname, that Mary, the daughter of Catherine of Aragon, is Bloody Mary, Mary the First. She is the second successor to Henry VIII after the son dies young. Right, okay. All right, so this is... This is this is a different Mary entirely. This is Mary Stuart. The, the way to keep them straight, if you're just referring to them, is Mary Tudor is the one who's Henry's daughter... Henry VIII's daughter and Catherine Aragon's. And this is Mary Stuart. Although she never reigns in England, she ends up being the beginning of the Stuart dynasty, which lasts for quite a long time in England as the rulers. So she didn't reign England, she reigned Scotland. Hence Queen of Scots. Queen of Scots, okay. She was also queen consort in France for a little while when she was very young. Okay, well, I look forward to all of the yes. historical illumination on this because clearly I'm confused. <laughs> That's okay. Two Marys, it, it can get confusing. But this is Mary, Queen of Scots. When you look at popular culture and depictions, straight through the centuries, really, Mary Stuart is a source of great fascination because her life plots out like a soap opera. It's very dramatic, perfect for the opera. Although I must say, not for the first time, the history depicted in this opera... Not super accurate. Not super accurate. But that's okay. That's not why we go to You'll opera. You'll set us straight. You'll set us straight, Pat. <laughs> that's not why we go to opera. So let's uh, let's begin with introducing our characters. And we start off with all the courtiers waiting for Queen Elizabeth to show up. And Queen Elizabeth will show up. And they're going to be singing about how she is going to be marrying the King of France. And this is Elizabeth Henry's daughter. Yes, this is Elizabeth, Elizabeth I. She is queen during the time of this. I see. Shall we, shall we catch us up? Because if you've just listened to our prior show on the mm-hmm. first of the Donizetti Queen operas. Anna Bolena. Anna Bolena, that is the mother of Elizabeth I, mm-hmm. who doesn't last very long as queen because she doesn't produce a male heir. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the funny part of that, of course, is that her daughter, Queen Elizabeth was one of the longest reigning monarchs in British history. And considered to be quite successful from the point of view of keeping peace and allowing England to become stronger and stronger. Also, defeat of the Spanish Armada has a little bit to do with the fact that they are no longer under the shadow of the strong Spain. Never mind, too much. (laughs) I was tracking. Okay, good. Good. So Elizabeth shows up on stage and everyone is excited because she's going to marry the King of France. Now Elizabeth, of course, her nickname. The Virgin Queen. Right. She never does marry. Right. But as a statesman, as a queen, she's very successful in making various people, countries think, oh yes, she will form that marriage alliance with them. Mm -hmm. So that's what's happening here. She's considering marrying the the king of France here, but everyone's assuming it's happening. And she, she it, she's taking it very seriously, offering a ring and things like that. Can I interrupt mm-hmm. and ask a question? So if the king of France marries the queen of England, where do they live? Like what happens? Because that's a pretty significant alliance. It's not like a prince 
of France marrying a queen of England, or... Well, the concept then is that you've, you've joined the two kingdoms. And their offspring would rule, rule it all. So it would be like England's? <laughs> yes. Or Frankland? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's complicated. You know, coming out of the uh, medieval period, you could have overlapping loyalties and various feudal arrangements. I mean, we perhaps shouldn't go down this okay, road too far. Hole. Okay, <laughs> but, but yeah, no, they would work it out. They'd work it out. They'd figure it out. Okay. Of All course. Right. I digress. So, no, no, so fine. she's toying because with the idea of marrying the King of France. She brings a ring. She's like, mm, let's check this out. So we're basically just being introduced to her at mm-hmm. this point. And what's the time frame here? Well, we're in the 16th century. Mm-hmm. The opera itself is set in 1587. Okay. So 1587. So towards the end of Elizabeth's um, reign. Not super towards the end. It's. I mean, that would be the next play in the series. Ah. Uh, <laughs> Roberto Devereux. Oh, right, right. That's right. right at the end of her reign. But Elizabeth becomes queen in 1558. Mm-hmm. So this is... 30 years after she's been queen. So she's been queen for quite some time, but she does go on and reign till 1603. So 1558 to 1603, that's like 45 years. That's right. 45 years she reigned. Wow, that's a long time. It is a long time. And it was a very good time for England to consolidate a lot of power and stability. Mm -hmm. Also of note, we mentioned this when we did Anna Bolena, but this is a period of transition religiously for the country. Right, from Catholicism to Protestantism. And because, right, because, well, everyone was Catholic if you were Christian for quite some time, unless you'd been part of the Eastern split. But in Western Europe, with Martin Luther, in the early part of this century, you usher in the Protestant Reformation. Henry takes advantage of that to divorce his wife or have his marriage annulled when the Pope wouldn't do it. And... Elizabeth is the daughter of his second wife, mm-hmm. Anne Boleyn. And as we know with the six wives, he goes on to have four more wives. But there's only one other surviving offspring, and that's the son that Jane Seymour has, who briefly becomes king after Henry dies, and then Mary I, Catherine's. And his name was Albert. The son who yeah. reigns is Edward. Edward. Yeah. Okay, so rabbit hole. So Elizabeth I, toward the sort of last third of her reign... She's still flirting and thinking about marrying people. And I mean, this is depicted dramatically here. And, and that part, certainly, I don't know about the, the moment in France and all of that. But part of what she'll sing about is that she's concerned about getting married because she'll give up her freedom. Because mm-hmm. she'll have a, a king to deal with ruling over her and mm-hmm. trying to take charge the way men like to do. <laughs> Copy that. <laughs> and so we hear her talk about this a little bit. And uh, one of her aides, Talbot, says to her, well, on such a day as this, it is Stuart's lament alone that clouds Britain's joy. So he's introduced. Mary. Mary by referring to her. Mary, I suppose, I let me see if I can do this quickly. Mary is imprisoned in England and has been for some time. In the she, tower? No, on an estate. She's confined, but she's, you know, under arrest. Mm-hmm. For 20 years of her life, or 18 or 20 years of her life, she is not free and really? living in England. Well, quick quick history, a uh, backstory up to this point with Mary. Mary's born, her father dies six days later, and at age six days, Mary becomes Queen of Scotland. Ah. So needless to say, there's a regent who rules for her, and at about age 16 is when she goes to France. She marries the Dauphin, 
the next in line to the throne in okay. France. He becomes Francis II. She becomes queen consort in France, but he doesn't survive very long as king. He dies. So she's widowed in France and returns to Scotland, where in fact she's queen, even though there have been regents ruling for her. And she gets, and so she's pretty young still at this point. She's like a, She's a young woman, and she ultimately gets married to Henry Stuart, hence the Stuart name. Okay. She pretty quickly gets pregnant. She, her child, her first child, is James. James becomes, down the road, James is, in fact, going to become King of England after Elizabeth, but that's not known Nobody knows at this that point. Yet. So she's married to Henry Stuart. Henry Stuart is quite a headstrong, ambitious fellow, and he gets jealous of one of Mary's secretaries. And in front of her, David Rizzo is his name, in front of her, he has Rizzo murdered. What? At the time, and Mary's pregnant, by the way. She's pregnant with James when this all happens. No, I told you it was soap opera dramatic. You can understand why there are all these dramatizations. Right. Because it gets more. So Rizzo is... Murdered. Murdered. And a lot of people are angry at Darnley. Mary's not so fond of him anymore because he's a bit of a... Wait, who's Darnley? Oh, I'm sorry. Henry Stewart is Lord Darnley. Same same person. Oh, Lord Darnley. Okay. Sorry, my mistake. <laughs> no worries. That's, so, that's uh, how he- the Brits do. Henry Stuart is Lord Darnley. We can call him Darnley or, or Henry Stuart. And Darnley's house blows up. And it dis- it's discovered that he doesn't just die in the explosion. He's been strangled. So they oh. killed him dead. So now she's been widowed twice. She's pregnant. She's Well, she has the baby. She's had the baby at this point. But... She's, she's widowed twice, and um, this fellow, the Earl of Bothwell, is believed to have orchestrated Darnley's death. Mm-hmm. But there's a trial, and he's acquitted, although a lot of people think the trial maybe wasn't on the up and up. Mm-hmm. He's acquitted, and lo and behold, Mary and Bothwell, this is just a couple of months later, Mary and Bothwell get married. Less than half a year after her husband has been strangled and blown up. Wow. She marries her third husband. Well, the people of Scotland have had enough. Really? Absolutely have enough. So she's not a well-liked monarch? No, because she's not... She's kind of flaky or something? She's not, she? take, she's not taking a lot of concern with the issues of governing. And she's seeming to be manipulated by these powerful men, or these mm-hmm. men who are scrambling after power. Sure. And the fact that people believe Bothwell had something to do with the murder of her husband and then she marries the man that's you know anyone's going to wonder about that mm-hmm. at any rate there's an uprising against the couple he flees she's imprisoned for a period of time in england scotland we're talking in about scotland. we're all in scotland now okay. and she's forced to abdicate in favor of her young son because they've had enough of her no more and so he's like how old seven eight no he's he's baby he's a baby he's a baby and Mary gathers up some supporters and she tries to retake the throne. She is unsuccessful and ultimately flees to England for protection. Ah, okay. And she says, cousin Elizabeth, because after all, Elizabeth is Mary's first cousin once removed. I love that you know these things. I always get confused. Oh, I've got loads of cousins. I know how, I know how, the, know co- how it works. the cousining works. <laughs> okay, so she says, cousin Elizabeth. Cousin Elizabeth, protect me. And Elizabeth does keep her from harm but she restricts her freedom because remember we talked about the the issue of catholicism versus protestantism Mm -hmm. one of the great gifts of elizabeth's reign is that she's not 
real focused on the religion issue. Her immediate predecessor, Mary the First, right, Mary Tudor, she tried to get the Catholicism reinstated. Didn't right, she? that's why she's called Bloody Mary because right. of all the persecutions, all the killings of Protestants in her effort to bring Catholicism back to England. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth backpedals that a lot. She just she wants peace. She's definitively Protestant herself. After all, she's Anne Boleyn's right. daughter. She's the result of Protestantism. But she's she wants peace. She wants a stable country. She mm-hmm. doesn't go after people the way that Mary did. And so the important thing to remember about the Catholics in England is that they weren't all necessarily okay with Elizabeth being the monarch. Because a lot of the Catholics thought she was an illegitimate heir. Because yeah. the only legitimate heir would be Mary. Right. Because that's from the first wife. Mary's no longer alive. And so you have to go and find out who would be the heir who isn't an offspring of Henry. And the only person who's a candidate who's alive for that is, in fact, Mary Stuart, because she's related. She's... By blood. The king's sister's granddaughter. Right. So a lot of people in England thought Mary Stuart should be queen, not Elizabeth. So there are plots. There are numerous plots to install Mary as the Queen of England. Interesting. Even though it sounds like maybe she didn't necessarily really want to be... Unclear. ...a monarch. Well, she loved being queen. Comes with a lot of perks. Right, but she wasn't interested in, like, really ruling the way that Elizabeth was. She didn't have the interests of state, first and foremost, the way that Elizabeth did. My Mary had an interesting life. Yeah. But Elizabeth really had a plan for her country and really made a difference for, you know, 45 years. Yeah, that's a long reign. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. Okay, anyway, so we're rabbit, so, so rabbit holes. This is why Mary is in England at this point, and she's un, under confinement because there are so many people who would rather just get Elizabeth out of the way, mm-hmm. assassination perhaps, and put Mary on. Because at this point, if if Elizabeth died, that would be the obvious heir. Mary would be the obvious heir. Mm-hmm. Right, okay. So she would be the heir, and then her infant son would be the king of Scotland, and that would be run by regents? I well, mean, that's, that's what's happening right now in Scotland. That's what is happening. Yeah. The infant son is, is king. James the Sixth. he is, uh, of Scotland. He's James the Sixth, but he's a child, so there are regents for him. Okay. But Elizabeth, back to our story, the yep. opera where Talbot had says, only the St- only Stuart's lament alone clouds Britain's joy. And we see Elizabeth, and she tells us what she's thinking about that. And she will say, why should I cry over the sad fate of one so guilty? Hmm. So guilty, by the way, of being part of these plots to overthrow or assassinate Elizabeth right. is what she's saying. So let's let's hear a little bit from Elizabeth. Okay. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. And on today's episode, we are listening to Maria Stuarda, Mary Stuart, an opera by Gaetano Donizetti. And in this aria, we will be introduced to Elizabeth I, Queen of England, talking about her response to Mary Stuart being imprisoned in England.
So that was Elizabeth I in Gaetano Donizetti's Maria Stuarda, and she's talking about her cousin once removed, first cousin once removed, Mary Stuart. <laughs> yes. And what, what is she expressing there in that pretty... Well, the, the courtiers around her, many of them are saying, mercy, Elizabeth, grant mercy. And she's having a hard time with that. She says, that wicked woman has stolen all hope from my loving heart. And the grim day of retribution will approach inexorably. Mm. So we're getting a picture of Elizabeth as not sympathetic in this opera. Clearly. And for those listeners of our show, when we did Roberto Devereux, one of the interesting things about Elizabeth in this Italian depiction is that Elizabeth was seen as an oddity in general by Italians, predominantly Catholic in Italy. She's Protestant. She brought an end to a lot of the Catholic hopes, certainly in terms of bringing England and perhaps all of Europe back into the fold of Catholicism. That's a little elevated for everyday conversation. But the fact that she was a virgin her whole life, or she was the virgin queen, someone mm-hmm. who never and married. She never married. She was not a normal woman. Mm-hmm. And a lot, of, a lot of people just thought it was unnatural to have a woman be the queen, as opposed to a man be the king. Mm-hmm. So she's always a little suspect in the operas that Donizetti presents to us, Elizabeth is. She's not a sympathetic character. I mean, we can feel pity for her once in a while, but... She's a little bit the baddie here. Not, yeah. Not completely, but a little bit. Yeah, because he, he's Italian and he doesn't understand and that's his perspective and he kind of writes her as and, cold, and, perhaps. And in a, in a lot of ways, he's just more, he's deeply sympathetic towards Mary Stewart. Mary Stewart has a very sympathetic treatment here. Mm-hmm. I should mention, by the way, that this libretto, unusual, this libretto was written by a 17-year-old law student. His name was... Who's just moonlighting as a librettist? (laughs) Apparently. His name was, uh, is Giuseppe Bardari. And he was found by Donizetti when he couldn't get Felice Romani, who had done prior librettos for him. Most specifically, he had done Lucretia Borgia and Anna Bolena. Ah, okay. But he was not available. So he tried a brand new librettist, this law student, who, by the way, first and only libretto ever because he goes on to become a magistrate in Naples. Interesting. I know. Isn't that kind of a fun little tidbit? Tidbit. (laughs) As long as we're doing fun tidbits, we haven't mentioned when this opera premieres. It premiered as Maria Stuarda in Milan, La Scala, 1835. Mm -hmm. But some might say the opera actually premiered a year earlier in 1834 in Naples, but not really. And you can't call it Maria Stuarda because it was actually called, let me see if I can pronounce this, Juan del Monte. It was an interesting story that in Naples, the censors banned Maria Stuarda, this opera that he was working on. There are many thoughts as to why it would be. You recall we've talked about in the fact in the past when, for instance, with Daughter of the Regiment, the reason that's a French opera is he was happy to get away from the censors in Naples and work in Paris, Donizetti. <gasps> so this is prior to that period when he's working and he's really getting frustrated with the censors because they don't like to see a queen being beheaded. And in fact, the wow. the, the queen consort in Naples was a descendant of Mary Stuart's. So that was particularly offensive to her. Interesting. So they said, nope, can't do this opera here. And Donizetti's like, I have all this great music. I have this wonderful opera. What are you talking about? 
But he kind of gnashes his teeth and he finds a librettist to write another opera syllable by syllable that fits into the music for Maria Stuarda. Whoa. And that's what premieres in and, Naples. And what was that called? Juan del Monte? Juan del Monte. Juan? Like B-U-O-N? Yes. Huh. Del Monte is like of the mountain or something. Well, it's all one word. I'm. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. We're not okay. going to go into Moving the plot on. of it. It didn't really exist it was there just to get that music up on the stage interesting and then he's like i'm gonna so well he does go manage, to milan he does manage to go to milan but after six performances it was banned in milan as well interesting so it had a bit of a fitful start right because it's it's kind of rough on the monarchy i mean it's it's actually rough on both of them i mean elizabeth looks very unsympathetic and mary stewart looks just Weak. Yeah, feckless in a way. Mm-hmm. So it's it gets banned. And it's, I mean, it's beautiful music. You'll you'll hear that. And I've read that it's the most, uh, most performed of the three Tudor Queen operas. But honestly, it wasn't easy to find a CD of this mm-hmm. to get. I mean, it's not as available as most operas are to see or to get copies of. It's doable. It's not like it's it's impossible. But it's it's clearly not up in the really basic repertoire of right. opera companies. And just to mention again, this is a bel canto opera from this period, Donizetti, Bellini. Rossini. Thank you. And it falls out of favor in the second half. Bel canto in general, not just this opera. Bel canto in general falls out of favor in the second half during the Verdi period, during the Verismo period. Mm-hmm. Second half of the 19th century, early part of the 20th century. And little by little, these operas will have different champions and different divas or different producers who who bring them back into the fold. Interestingly, this opera premiered in the United States very late, not till 1971 in San Francisco did this opera even get performed, premiered at an opera house in the United States. Wow. Yeah, kind of amazing. And that was in San Francisco? Mm Mm-hmm. Wow, that's right. Okay, all right. So let's get back to the, yes. the plot and the. All right. So she she's worried about Mary and what Mary has done to her. She's re, she's resentful. She's a wicked woman. She's stolen my love. And you're thinking, what's all that about? Well, hang on. We'll find out. <laughs> she's stolen my love. That's what she says. Hmm. She's stolen all hope from my loving heart. And then she looks around. Where's Lester? Where is Lester? And. Lester, historically speaking, again, re- referring back, I realize we did it out of order having done Roberto Devereux first, but uh, Lester is the is known historically, this is true, historically Lester is Elizabeth's favorite, whisper, whisper. He's, he is her favorite at court, the Earl of Lester, and it's his stepson. In other words, he, he marries this woman who already has a son, and that son is Roberto Devereux. Right, 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 right. Who then becomes the favorite. Right. After Lester's gone. But this Lester, that's where the history ends, by the way, as far as this opera is concerned, that Lester is a prominent figure in Elizabeth's life. In this opera, they create a love triangle. Elizabeth, Mary Stuart, and Lester. Huh. And truthfully, as it's depicted in the opera, it's Lester who really adores Mary, Mary Stuart, more than anything. Huh. That's total fiction that's total invention but again as in Roberto Devereux here in Maria Stuarda a lot of the motivation for action that's attributed to Elizabeth mm-hmm. is based on passions and love and who's my guy hmm. hard to hard to swallow that one but there we are it's the opera yeah I suppose because Elizabeth 
the first was such a long reigning monarch and because she wasn't married and because she did kind of promote peace, you would have to invent the passion a little. Well, it, and it's because it's opera, it's extreme and it's forceful. But Lester, so she says, where is Lester? I don't, I don't see him. And right on cue, Lester appears and he says, oh, my queen, what, what can I do for you? And that's when she gives him this ring to give to the French ambassador to be delivered. Elizabeth departs and Lester is left on stage with Talbot, another of the courtiers, and the two of them start talking about Mary. Talbot has seen Mary and he has a letter and a portrait to deliver to Lester, Mm -hmm. a miniature portrait of Mary. Like a locket type portrait? So the sort of thing, yes, exactly, that you would give to someone to show that you're connected, Mm -hmm. let them think of you and see you, and a letter. And Lester is overjoyed to have contact. With Mary. With Mary. And he's going to sing this lovely song. Ah, what delight, that lovely face.
So that was the Earl of Leicester and George Talbot, the Earl of Shrewsbury, having a very intense conversation regarding Mary. Indeed. Well, after Lester talks about her lovely face as he's singing to this little miniature portrait that Mm -hmm. he's been given and talking about all her beautiful features and he's just her eyes her lips exactly (laughs) exactly and he says what memories i am willing to die for her and talbot's a little taken aback well well, what do you plan to do i will free her or i will die with her Lester says, I shall defy every fear and every danger. For her, I will free her for the sake of our true love. So he's just all out. And Talbot's like, I don't think this is a good idea. (laughs) Well, it's just odd, too, that that wasn't even... A, a real thing. So no, Donizetti just totally invented this to create drama in the opera. Absolutely. Well, I, I don't know how much came from Schiller. Friedrich Schiller, the playwright, poet, wrote a play, which is more or less the basis, or shall we say the jumping off point for this opera. Mm-hmm. Donizetti had seen an Italian translation of this play written in German, and that was the basis for this. But... One one thing I read about this was that Donizetti's opera has about as much in common with Schiller's play as Schiller's play had in common with actual history. Right. So, who knows? I don't know. I don't know how much of that. I think it was very much pumped up in the opera. It may have existed to some degree in Schiller's play, but Schiller's play had 20-some characters, and we've got about six here in this right. particular opera. So it's really very much focusing on this Romance. Romantic triangle. Okay, so Lester's like, I love her. I'm going to free her or die trying because it's true, true love. And I'm, you know, I'm that guy. Right. So uh, Talbot's like, "Uh, are you sure you want to do this? And Elizabeth comes in at this point. And Lester's still all heated up. Frothed up. Right. And she says, Lester, are you distracted? And he says, no. No, but pretty soon she sees what's going on and she says, oh, that woman, she seduces everyone. Maybe she's jealous. I don't know. She's the Queen of England. Do you think she's really? I don't think she's really. Well, she's jealous as far as Lester's concerned within the context of this opera. Right, because. That's true. He's her favorite. That's right. That's right. She sees the letter. She demands that he give it to her. Mm -hmm. And the letter is requesting a meeting between Elizabeth and Mary. Mary's requesting that Elizabeth come to the estate where she's being held mm. so that she can speak with her. So this is an interesting point. Elizabeth and Mary, these two important women of history in the 16th century in England, Scotland, and whose histories are so closely intertwined, historically, they never actually met. But oh my goodness, people imagine what it would have been like if they had met. In fact, I saw just over a year ago in London, I saw a play called Mary Stuart, Mm -hmm. which is based entirely on that, the play about what would happen if Mary and Elizabeth had actually met. It's surprising that they never met, actually. Well, it's not surprising when you consider what actually is going on politically. I mean, it, it certainly would be a dramatic scene, but it wouldn't be smart for Elizabeth to meet with Mary because then she would have to more formally acknowledge the line of succession. Right, And she was not eager to do that. Right. 
Not at all. So it's a shrewd strategic move. Absolutely. But you think, what would have happened if they'd met? And so lots of, lots of dramatists have. Imagined it. And imagined it in a way that they think could be historically plausible in that Elizabeth did this, but she didn't want anyone to know about it. Mm -hmm. In this opera, they will meet and it will be dramatic. Oh my goodness, will it be dramatic? But Elizabeth will go and see her. Elizabeth gets the letter from Lester, who wasn't eager to give it to her, but it says, Elizabeth needs to come visit me. And she says, Elizabeth says, I'm a queen. Am I to go visit her in prison? And Lester pleads Mary's case, as you can imagine. She says, Lester, why do you like Mary so much? Are you in love with her? Because she is getting jealous. And Lester tells Elizabeth, well, it's only pity that I feel for her. It's only pity. Hmm. Very different from what he was telling Talbot. And her response to that, well, is she pretty? Tell me, is she pretty? Very insistently. <laughs> and he will wax eloquent about how beautiful she Ooh, is. Oh, that's a bad move. Right to Elizabeth. That's not, a, that's not a smart choice. Let's listen. Oh, <laughs> 
If you've just tuned in, you are listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. And on today's episode, we are listening to Gaetano Donizetti's Maria Stuarda. And we are nearing the end of Act 1, and we've just heard from Elizabeth I, the Queen of England, the Earl of Leicester, and they're talking about Mary, Queen of Scots, who mm. is imprisoned in England. And Pat, what were they discussing? Well, you could hear it at the end. There's a little softening in Elizabeth's voice, because she likes singing with Lester. Oh, right. He is a favorite. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to butter her up. He's trying to soften her to show mercy towards Mary, mm-hmm. who, in this opera... Is his sweetie. He really adores. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And he says, it's okay. Yes, you're going to visit her in her confinement, but we can have a ruse where you're going to go with a hunting party out in the forest, and you'll just bump into her that way. And... Elizabeth is angry that Mary seems to have a hold over Lester's heart. And Lester says, no, queen, it's pity I feel and renounce the wrath that you feel towards her. So he's being very sweet to her to encourage her to show mercy. He says, restore her peace to her, I beg of you. And that's the end of Act One. Oh, yes. So in today's recording, we are listening to a version of Maria Stuardo that was recorded at La Scala in Milan in 1971, conducted by Carlo Felice Cilario. And the role of Elizabeth, who we've just heard from, was played by Shirley Verrett. And the Earl of Leicester was sung by Ottavio Garaventa. Mary is sung by Montserrat Caballé. Talbot is Raphael Ari, and Cecil is Giulio Fioravanti. So I think we need to meet Mary now, Maria. Oh my gosh, we we haven't even heard from her yet. No, we haven't. There's a lot of history up front in this in this episode today. Well, we had to set the scene. Yeah, there was a lot going on. Okay, well, we, so we're going to be introduced to Mary, and this is the beginning of Act Two. That's right. And what do we need to know before we meet Mary? Well, she is. Out of the castle or out of the estate in which she's confined, she's outdoors, hence this hunting party ruse. And we're going to see her initially with her lady-in-waiting, Anna. Anna, who takes care of her. And mostly Mary is going to be, forgive me, I'm going to call her Mary. Yeah, that's <laughs> Not fine. Maria. Maria. Um, Mary is lamenting her situation, that she's tormented, she's locked up, she doesn't have her freedom she can't. She's separated from her child. She's widowed. She She's never alone. mentions the child, by the way. Right, okay. Never mentions the child. <laughs> let's, let's listen to her aria where she sings, In the Peace of My Woeful Seclusion. Oh, <laughs> 
Well, that was a very impassioned aria there by Mary. She's feeling a lot of feels. She is feeling a lot of feelings. She she remembers that she asked Elizabeth to come, but now that, that the moment is where Elizabeth is going to show up, she's terrified. She says, I don't have the courage. I can't do it. And then she looks around and she says, Oh, is that you, Lester? And Lester has shown up. Oh. He's in the advance party. Right. Yes. And they will sing a bit together as well. And she's going to keep feeling those feelings. And she's going to start off with forsaken by all, overwhelmed by a cruel blow, oppressed, desolate. There is no hope left in my heart. Hmm. So what you get from her, and it's very much supported by Lester, is that she is utterly a victim. Right, that she has no uh, responsibility or accountability for the situation right. in which she finds herself. Right. Of course, when when Lester shows up, he breaks in and says, I am going to rescue you, my lady. Yeah, right. Right? <laughs> Lester on the white horse. Right. That's what, he, that's what he says. Doesn't work out that way. He says that, and he says, no, you mustn't despair. I'll, I'll get her to give you a pardon. She'll show you clemency. Mary is smart enough to know that that's not likely to happen. Mm-hmm. And she's mostly just like, this is a terrible situation I'm in. Mm-hmm. So let's... Let's listen to Abandoned by All. It'll be first Mary, and then we'll have a lovely duet. With the Earl of Leicester.
If you've just tuned in, you are listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. And on today's episode, we are listening to Gaetano Donizetti's Maria Stuarda about Mary, Queen of Scots. And we've just heard from Mary and the Earl of Leicester, who apparently is besotted with Mary and is going to save her. And I got to admit, Pat, his uh, little, that little duet there, he sounded a little bit chumpy. Sound like a chump to me. <laughs> like, hey, I'm going to save you. I mean, I don't know what he was saying, but just the way yeah. he no, was presented. He was, says, we're, we're going to ask for mercy. And if that doesn't happen, I'll save you. Yeah. Chump. Yeah. I, it doesn't. It's not convincing. It doesn't happen. He doesn't have the ability to do it, but that's what he's, he's pledging in all of his. Bravado. His heart's in the right place, maybe. Yes. He says, therefore, I pledge my love, my loyalty and honor. My loving heart swears it. I cannot <laughs> offer you a throne or a hand of sovereignty. Then I offer you the hand that rescued you from prison. <laughs> if only, if only. Well, oh, all of that. Chumpy. All that is behind us now. All of the emotion of Mary, all of the bravado of Lester, and now we have the regal Elizabeth entering the scene. Mary has actually exited, so Lester's there, and he greets his queen. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth is there to kind of lay it down and talk some sense and be well, real. It's not real. Like, why am I here, basically? Like, right. why did I decide to come? Remind me. Right. Are we really hunting? <laughs> those, send those hunters away. I don't I don't need. And then there's Cecil. Have we spoken about Cecil yet? Not really. He is a, a historically accurate as an important minister in Elizabeth's court, someone who never wavered in his belief that Mary Stuart's existence was a threat to Queen Elizabeth's reign. And he's depicted that way in this opera as well. So Cecil says, My queen, England adores you, and you know whose head they demand. So he's that one whispering in her ear, like, this may be uncomfortable, but you got to do it. Just chop her head off. Get rid of her. Right. Otherwise, the assassination plots will continue, because there have been very real plots against her life Mm -hmm. in favor of having Mary go on the throne. They don't talk about that a lot in this opera. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's with all of these things that we talk about in historical sense, it's amazing that anybody survives, <laughs> you know, because everybody's always plotting to kill everybody else. Yeah. Well, there's the issue of power and people do survive. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here, would we? Right. <laughs> okay. So Cecil's like, uh, you got to chop her head off or you're going to risk your And Lester's brain. just annoyed at Cecil, right? You don't have to kill her. Then Lester turns to Elizabeth. He says, I led you here to bring comfort to your sister's sorrow. And Elizabeth is like, ugh, I despise her. He thinks about her all the time. So again, this this Donizetti take on the queen is that it's all about her jealousy as far as Lester is concerned. And now we have a lovely piece that I'm really looking forward to where... Elizabeth sees Mary appear, and she says, oh, she's the same, haughty and proud. And everyone's going to pile in with their thoughts. And it's one of these wonderful songs where all the different characters are speaking their minds. Can only be done in opera. One of the glories of opera.
So that was pretty much the entire cast of the opera on stage talking about their feelings regarding Elizabeth and Mary. And some of them are for Mary and some of them are for Elizabeth. And everybody's just saying what they think. Right. And they're tormented. I mean, the the way to break it down is we've got Mary, Queen of Scots. We've got three women, three men. Mm -hmm. We've got the two queens, Mary and Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. And then Anna. And then the lady-in-waiting, Anna. And then the men, we've got Lester, Talbot, mm -hmm. and Cecil. Lester's the love interest, and then the other two men are bases. Talbot is very sympathetic to Mary, mm-hmm. very religious. He serves the queen, but he's very sympathetic. Remember that Talbot is the one who brought the letter and the locket to... Lester. Lester. Right, from Mary. Right, he had visited her. So that's Talbot, and then there's Cecil, who is this minister of state. Diehard Elizabeth fan. Diehard Elizabeth fan, wanting to make sure she's secure in her mm-hmm. position to reign and bring peace to the country. So they are all, they've all expressed their feelings, and now we're going to hear Mary as she actually approaches Elizabeth, and she's been counseled to be humble. Mm-hmm. She's a little appalled at the thought of having to be humble after all she's been a queen since she was six days yeah, she old says she's got to bend the knee and kiss the ring she's gonna get down on her knee and beg for forgiveness mm-hmm. beg for mercy it's not gonna go well but let's listen to her uh, what we can of her song before we're done with the first half here listening to Opera for Everyone, a radio show and podcast that makes opera understandable, accessible, and enjoyable for a mainstream audience. Listen to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL from Jackson, Wyoming, Sunday mornings, 9 to 11 Mountain Time. All three of the Tudor Queen's operas by Gaetano Donizetti are available on Opera for Everyone on your favorite podcast app. In chronological order, that's Anna Bolena, episode 53, Maria Stuarda, 
episode 54, and the third, Roberto Devereaux, episode 44. Listen to them all for the beautiful bel canto music and a small sprinkling of history. Please enjoy the second half of today's episode, Maria Stuarda. Welcome back to the second half of today's episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. I'm Pat Wright. And on today's episode, we are listening to Gaetano Donizetti's Maria Stuarda. That's right. One of our bel canto performers, or composers, rather. That's right. Donizetti, Bellini, and Rossini. You got it. I'm getting better at this. And since it's the second half of the show, what are we going to do, Pat? I think you're going to do the opera helmet quiz. You're going to tell us where we are in the plot up to now. I think I'm ready. Okay. All right. So this is the story of Mary Stuart, also known as Mary, Queen of Scots, not Mary I, who was known as Bloody Mary, who was the daughter of Henry VIII, but rather the daughter of Henry's sister. Granddaughter. Granddaughter of Henry's sister. So she is a first cousin once removed to Elizabeth I, who in this play is currently on the throne of England. So we are set in England in 1587. Right. As I said, Elizabeth I is the reigning Queen of England, and Mary Queen of Scots has been deposed as the monarch in Scotland, and in her place, her infant son James has been installed as the monarch, and he is being looked over by regents who are reigning in his stead. Mary has been exiled to England and is being held basically being held prisoner. Right, and just to be fair, he's not an infant anymore because he was born 20 years earlier, but he was an infant when he was first installed. I see, okay. But this is not part of the plot of the opera, Doesn't so... Doesn't matter. Carry on. Moving forward. Um, okay, so Mary is in prison, basically, if you want to call it that. She's on an estate in the hinterlands of England, who knows where, and she is distressed because she wants to be free, and Elizabeth I is not about to let that happen because there is a question as to the legitimacy of Elizabeth's claim to the throne because there are factions within England who are predominantly Catholic and believe that Mary is the rightful heir to the throne since Anne Boleyn was Henry's second wife and that was ushered in by Protestantism and Elizabeth is the result of that union. And because they believe they believe in Catholicism, they don't believe in Protestantism. They think that Elizabeth is not a rightful heir because she is legitimate and Mary, Queen of Scots, would then be the next rightful heir to the throne. That's right. Well done. Okay, so... We know that there have been several attempts on Elizabeth's life. They are attempting to overthrow her and install Mary in her stead. Therefore, that's the reason that Elizabeth needs to keep her imprisoned. Additionally, in this opera, the issue is complicated by a love triangle that Donizetti has perhaps invented, perhaps adapted from an earlier play by a German guy named Schiller who wrote uh, a play about these three people and the drama around that that did introduce the possibility that Lester was besotted with Mary, um, although most historical references 
don't point to that, but it makes for a more interesting play and therefore a more interesting opera. So Donizetti runs with that. So we have a love triangle between Mary, Queen of Scots, who's in prison, Queen Elizabeth, and the Earl of Leicester. So we begin the drama with George Talbot, the Earl of Shrewsbury, coming to the Earl of Leicester with a letter and a mini portrait from Mary that she has requested him to deliver to the Earl of Leicester. As the Earl of Leicester and Talbot are talking about Mary and how much Leicester loves Mary, and Talbot's like, I don't think that's such a good idea. I mean, I like Mary too, but you're the queen's favorite. Do you really think it's a great idea that you should be in love with Mary? And in the midst of this conversation about all of the Earl's feelings about how he's going to get Mary out of prison and blah, 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 Elizabeth I walks in and says, what's going on here? And then um, she says, what is that letter? So she takes the letter and she's like, oh, Lester, you're so in love with Mary. What, what is going on? And he's like, no, no, I'm not in love with her. I just pity her. And so she reads the letter, and in the letter, Mary has requested an audience with Elizabeth. And so Elizabeth is annoyed at this, and Lester says, no, no, you should you should give her mercy. She's not a bad person. You're a, a great queen, and you can grant her clemency and mercy and all this. And Elizabeth's like, oh, fine. So Lester says, okay, I'll, I'll organize this, and we'll go and we'll visit her under the, under the guise of a hunting party. And Elizabeth's like, fine whatever. <laughs> so in the midst of all of this, Elizabeth is like, I, I really despise this Mary and I really don't want her to be on the throne. And then Cecil, who is an historically accurate figure from the Queen's court, he is the Lord High Treasurer. And he says, yeah, I don't trust her as far as I could throw her. You definitely need to kill her. And that's that. And so then there's this big aria at the the end of the first act where they're on the hunting party everybody's on stage so it's elizabeth mary mary's lady-in-waiting anna the earl of leicester talbot and cecil and they're all talking about how they're all in a pickle because there are some people like anna and mary and lester who are totally in favor of mary but then there's cecil and the queen who are anti-mary pro-elizabeth and then there's talbot who's kind of keeping his trap shut and so then mary after this whole aria where everybody talks about their feelings, then Mary has to go to Elizabeth and bend the knee and beg for mercy, basically. And that's where we ended the first half of the show. Perfect. Really? Perfect. Yep, that was great. And when she does all of this, Cecil will turn to Elizabeth and say, don't trust her lips. They deceive you. And Elizabeth stays hard towards Mary. You're in your place. You belong in the dust and in, with shame. Hmm. Not too sympathetic. Now, you'll recall, Mary has always been a queen. People are subservient to her, mm -hmm. not belittling her. Mm -hmm. And so she doesn't take this super well. <laughs> she takes it personally. Yeah, yeah. And Elizabeth won't, won't hear of it. She said, you, you are haughty, you are vile, you are malicious. Mary's... She's trying to take it, but she can't quite. And Elizabeth digs in deeper. You wretch, go and ask your unfaithful marital bed and the unavenged host of your unfortunate husband. Remember, Darnley was murdered? Right. By the guy who shortly thereafter married? Married Mary. Right. So what Elizabeth is throwing at her, not the true crime that she's 
going to be executed for, which is treason, trying to kill the queen and take her place, Elizabeth is after her for her unfaithfulness and love and her intrigues around romance and marriage mm-hmm. in this song. So she's going to get, she's going to get, it's going to get, it, it's going to happen. Mary's not going to be able to hold the uh, subservient attitude. Mm-hmm. She's going to crack. And she's going to crack big. Oh, really? And this is just a famous scene of confrontation between these two strong-willed queens. Mary on the one hand, Elizabeth on the other. And they're going to go after each other. In fact, the name of the song, or, or what the way the song is called, is Impure Daughter of Boleyn. <laughs> so, oh, she's going after her mother. Well, but she's going after, she's essentially saying you're an illegitimate child yeah. because your mother was not a true wife right. to, your, to your father, the king. Yeah. And it just escalates and escalates. In fact, there are even stories of the women who are playing these roles, the Sopranos playing these two roles, getting so into character that they take it personally the way the insults are hurled at each other. It's just, it is It is such Visceral emotion, such incredibly high emotion. So Mary will say, illegitimate daughter, impure daughter of Boleyn, you speak to me of shame. You are a lowly, shameless harlot. (laughs) England's soil is defiled by your feet. And then she says, you vile. Well, I'll say it in my best Italian. Vil bastarda. Wow. Yes. And that is the line where oftentimes it's yelled rather than sung because there's such strong emotion. Vil bastarda. You can translate that. Yeah. <laughs> Vile, female, illegitimate, illegitimate child. child. <laughs> so the name in Italian is An no no filia impura di bolena. And that's what we're going to listen to next. There was a lot of emotion in that short little aria. Oh, absolutely. She's at the extreme of her being for that one. And all the rest, Anna, Lester, Talbot, Cecil, all the courtiers say there is no more hope for her. Yeah, she's done. She's done. And Elizabeth says, well, she's condemned herself. 
I mean, that's treason right there, calling the queen an illegitimate child, Mm -hmm. yeah. So Elizabeth will say, go, wild woman, and prepare yourself for the gravest sentence. I will shed dishonor on your odious head. It's just, there's no... The gloves are off. There's no coming back from this. But the sympathetic characters like Anna and Talbot will, will say, oh, unfortunate woman, you insulted Elizabeth. What were you thinking? <laughs> but she, was, she, was, she is a proud woman. And the courtiers are sad. Because somebody's head's going to roll. Yeah. And Elizabeth says, take her away. She's a foolish woman. She's condemned herself. And Mary sticks to her guns, essentially. And she says, yes, guide me to death. I defy fate. This single moment of victory has repaid all of my suffering. So but basically, it was worth it to insult you to your face, queen, is what she's saying. Yeah. Here in this opera. And Cecil will get the last line in the act. And he says, the almighty in heaven takes revenge on the bold. And that's the end of act two. Are you ready for act three? I am. All right. We're back at the palace where they're getting, getting ready. Cecil's cautioning Elizabeth. He says that the one who turned all of Europe against you even threatened your life. Why have you not executed her yet? So there is this moment when Elizabeth has stated her intentions, but she hasn't actually signed the document, the death Mm -hmm. warrant, for the execution to be carried out. And Cecil is encouraging her to do it, but she pauses with the pen in hand before she'll actually sign it. And that is, from what I know, historically speaking, Elizabeth was not eager to, to execute Mary. She, I mean, treason is real and you have to punish treason, but she was also mindful of the, of the station of royalty, particularly mm. the highest rank of royalty queen, which Mary was. And she saw it as a terrible thing for one monarch to kill another. And she didn't really want to do it. But hmm. issues of state, and the fact that Mary had actually committed, committed treason. treason against her made it unavoidable, ultimately. But there's hesitation, and they depict some of this hesitation here because she's she's thinking it, it's a step from which you cannot return. Once it's done, it's done. So she and she and Cecil go back and forth, and she's not sure. She's not sure. Lester comes into the room. That's all she needed. She sees Lester, thinks for a second, she signs it. Really? Yeah. And she said, let us hurry with this execution.
If you've just tuned in, you are listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. And we have just heard from Elizabeth and Cecil, her advisor, talking about Mary and how Mary's existence threatens Elizabeth's life. That's right. And Lester, now being on the scene, is once again pleading for mercy. Mm -hmm. And he says, you have condemned innocence. And he pleads that she will show pity and Elizabeth is not going to be swayed at this point she says your petition is futile my decision is firm in that proud woman's end lies the end of my danger her blood will fortify my power Mm -hmm. and Cecil is right there with her encouraging her with this and Lester says no you've signed your sister's death sentence you barbarous woman Wow. So it's interesting that Mary, it's beyond the pale for her to insult the queen, but Lester's treading on taking thin some ice. liberties here. He doesn't really get in trouble for it, but he, he does say that. Let's listen to him sing that. Hey! <laughs> 
Wow. I bet that's impressive to see live. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So she's committed now. Elizabeth is totally committed. And she even tells Lester, go and prepare a grave to bury your affection after Stuart is dead. (laughs) Yeah. Cecil, the one who has matters of state foremost in his mind, says, my queen, turn your thoughts towards peace and glory. This will be the most glorious day for your throne and for England. Because he sees her throne being assured. Yeah, and also the factions that have been fighting perhaps will just knock it off. Perhaps. I mean, that's an optimistic. (laughs) That's right. And Lester says, well, I'll leave now. I can see in your face that you are delirious and enraged. Right. So he doesn't back down at all. But he's like, I can't do anything more here now. We're not going to talk about this now. Right. And that ends the scene. And we leave the palace. And now we show up where Mary is in her confinement. And is she moping around? You, You could say that. The treacherous woman even wanted to insult me in my grave, but her shame fell back upon her. She says, she's a villain. She's a villain. And Cecil arrives. What do you want? She asks. This is the warrant that signals the last of your days on earth, he tells her. How can you condemn a queen? Is this how you do it in England? She's incredulous. She's a queen. She, the rules of man should not apply to her. And Cecil's like, whatever. Do you want a counselor, a minister to accompany on your final journey on earth? Oh, God. Cecil, Cecil, what would you like for your last meal? Do you want a cookie? (laughs) What, I mean. Well, but but the, the, the effort to provide religious guidance to her from Cecil, it just enrages her more. She says, I refuse. I am what I am. I am a foreigner to your faith. Because, of course... We have the Protestant Catholic issue raising its head again. Mm -hmm. So it's getting serious. Mary is accepting that she's going to be executed. And she says she had hoped to find peaceful refuge and asylum with Elizabeth as she's reflecting on the situation. Remember, she had to escape Scotland because they were all after her. Mm -hmm. She thought she'd find refuge in England, but it didn't work out. Not so much. She says, I found a prison cell instead. And we have a sweet scene between Talbot now and Maria, where Talbot comes to show comfort to her as best he can. And he also knows that she needs to unburden her soul because she is not without sin as well. And they they get kind of serious about it. Talbot says, confess your sins. And she's not her mind you know she's feeling too much victimized right now to be there but she does finally get there and she says oh the dark phantoms of my sins they stand between heaven and me now this is the first time she will and and they're assuming that audiences understand this or it simply doesn't matter she says they return the bloody ghost of henry from his grave Mm -hmm. remember the husband who was murdered by the guy that she couple months later marries Mm -hmm. and Talbot do you see him do you see the pale body of young Rizzo and this is just a quick reference in there historically again you either need to know it or it just doesn't matter yeah it goes over your head but young Rizzo is this secretary who was who she saw murdered in front of her by the husband who himself was murdered Henry Stewart Henry Stewart Lord Darnley the belief is that she 
provoked the murder by being flirtatious with Rizzo. Ah. That she aroused suspicion and, and jealousy in her husband. And so her husband needed to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. A little grim. So Talbot says, well, may your troubled soul take comfort. And Mary is going to sing this beautiful confessional song as she comes to grips with making her peace with God and moving on.
Oh, it's so sad. Yeah, it's a song of repentance. And she specifically even names Henry, her widow, her dead husband. Her dead husband. She says, I hated my spouse, but poor wretch, he died for me. And so she's confessing here. And Talbot is comforting her, but he then turns to her and says, there remains a sin which you must repent. She's like, what, what sin is left? And he says, were you allied with Babington? Who's that? See, if you don't know, you don't know. <laughs> were you allied with Babington? And she says, oh, quiet, that was a fatal mistake. Well, Babington was executed for treason because he's the one who was act like the most infamous of the plots against Elizabeth's life to install Mary. Oh, right. So the fact that even here in this highly sympathetic opera, it says, were you allied with Babington? And she says, oh, quiet. It was a fatal mistake. It's a nod to the fact that they've left all of this out of the opera. I believe it's yeah. a, that's what it is. Right. So it's mentioned here, like, no, we 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 knew this this happened, but that's not what the that's not what the composer and librettists are mostly concerned yeah, with. Yeah, so even though we're sympathetic to her, we do acknowledge that she had some mm -hmm. hand in these plots against Elizabeth. So when she tries to shush Talbot, Talbot says, Remember, Almighty God punishes all sins, and a deceiving heart cannot hide from his omnipresent eye. So she recognizes the truth of what he said, and she shows remorse as well. Not mentioning the details of what she's remorseful for, but just shows remorse. And then Talbot will offer her comfort, where he says, In this prison cell, willingly leave behind this life of grief. As an angel, you will be with the God of consolation. So once she's done her confessions, he's offering her comfort and compassion. Mm-hmm. And he says, in the feeling of pure jubilation, your ravaged soul will forget all of the anguish that tormented you. So he's really being quite kind and comforting. For, and forgiving, offer, offering her forgiveness, even though it doesn't, he's not man of the cloth or he's not religious, but. Well, he's very religious, but he's not the bravado force that Lester was like, I'll save you. I'll break you out of here. He's being very realistic with the situation and offering her comfort as mm -hmm. he can. Oh, 
You're listening to Opera for Everyone, and we've just heard from Mary Stewart, Mary Queen of Scots, and George Talbot, the Earl of Shrewsbury, in Gaetano Donizetti's opera, Mary Stewart. And what were they talking about here in Act 3, Pat? Well, it's getting towards the end here. He is offering her comfort in her... Last moments. In her last moments, exactly. And we're going to move to the next scene, and we will have all of the the people who support Mary, all of her intimates, which is quite a big chorus on the stage, and they're going to share their thoughts about what is about to happen. And part of the scene is we will see the executioner and the executioner's block, so it's all prepared and waiting for that it's final getting moment. real it's quite real but the but the chorus is going to tell us it's a terrible sight to look at the block and the axe and the chamber and the surging crowd who are just interested in seeing the suffering of a queen they say but the cruel death of a queen will bring everlasting shame and disgrace to england hmm. so let's listen to some of that Thank you. 
So things are getting real for the yes, they are chorus, for the real. people surrounding Mary and her supporters. The, they've seen the executioner's block. They've seen the executioner. They know she's going to die. Right. And Mary is going to enter now and say gracious things to them. I see you all. I'm leaving for a better life. I gladly hasten towards God's embrace. But I must leave you behind in this sad, sad land. And Anna is right there by her side. Her lady in waiting. Her lady in waiting. And it's just, it's just sad. It's just pitiful and it's sad. And Cecil comes in and uh, remember he's all business. Mm -hmm. He says, well, the moment of your death is approaching. What are your final wishes? The queen would like to grant them. And Mary says, well, I want Anna to be with me. And... So she wants Anna to be killed also? Or no, 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 to just, to, just to be okay. moral support up okay. till the end, to, to allow her to, to be with me right. up till the end. And now I have one more request. And she's going to say, from a dying heart, deliver a pardon to the one who has offended me, condemned me. Tell her, may she have years of lasting happiness on the throne. I implore the mercy of heaven for her and for Britain. Let her not be plagued by her conscience. My blood shall redeem everything. From a dying heart, I deliver a pardon to her. Hmm. So one final kind of kick in the shins. Well, 
ish. It's reminding me a little bit of the prior Tudor Queen opera that we did, the prior opera of these queens of England, where Anna Bolena, before she's executed, shows mercy, shows grace and forgiveness. That was different, though. That was like she and Jane were friends, and now Jane yeah. is going to have to live with Henry, and Anne knew what that was like, and <laughs> Jane is going to suffer the same fate. Right. You know, whereas I feel like this is more like... I'm taking the high road and I'm going to pardon you before I die. Yeah, that might be it. That might be it. And yet, being able to be gracious and offer forgiveness in the face of such extreme circumstances is a way to win sympathy with the audience. I'm talking now about the libretto and the composer setting it up this way to keep us on Mary Stewart's side. The fact that she is the good guy in this that our sympathies are supposed to stay with her i see and we're supposed to buy into the the comment that is made that it will be everlasting shame brought on england yeah well i mean that's what i'm saying is like (laughs) she it's a backhanded compliment Mm -hmm. in a way it's like well please forgive this queen who's doing this horrible thing Mm -hmm. that's gonna bring everlasting shame upon her country and her people but let her reign be filled with happiness it's kind of and i give her pardon right yeah shall we listen yes
If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. And we've just heard from Mary, who is condemned to death and about to die. She's seen the executioner's block. She's offering pardon to Elizabeth, who has sentenced her to death, saying, Oh, Elizabeth, I hope your reign is happy, except for this is going to be a really bad thing for your country, but I hope you're happy. (laughs) Well, and then Lester comes in. Right. And Lester says, tremble, all you sinners. Fear a God who will avenge innocence. Lester's a chump, man. (laughs) And Cecil will say, the hour is here. And this does not go well with Lester, and they'll keep talking, and he'll say, the hour is here. So the final song of the opera, very, very dramatic. Mary is going to sing to Lester, You once wanted to free me from my chains, and now you lead me to death as the last consolation of love. You accompany me to my execution, because that's all you can do, buddy. She doesn't tell him all of his boasting was for nothing. Yeah, but basically that's what it is. You said you would save me, but mm, here we go. Yes, and, and she goes back to this concept May the shedding of my innocent blood, she still protests her total innocence, may the shedding of my innocent blood soothe the fury of a forgiving God and not bring down upon perjurous Albion, England, the scourge of a punitive God. In other words, you know, God has every right to punish you, but here I am praying that he won't. (laughs) She bugs me. I don't don't know why I'm so anti- you're, you're in the Elizabeth camp. I, I am. You're I'm Team like, Elizabeth. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. And she that, seems um, she seems really manipulative and kind of, well, I think you said earlier, feckless. Just kind of like she only really cares about herself. She doesn't care about her country. She doesn't care about her children. She doesn't care about her husbands. She just kind of. Well, she's, she's very entitled. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Cecil says. Yes, England's peace is assured as we're getting closer and closer to the moment of execution. And all together, Lester and Talbot and Anna and all the good friends of Maria will say, innocent and dishonored, she dies. And Cecil gets the last word. Now the peace of England is safe. The enemy of the crown is dead. That's the end of Maria Stuarda. And scene.
to another episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. And I'm Pat Wright. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. All three of the Tudor Queen's operas by Gaetano Donizetti are available on Opera for Everyone on your favorite podcast app. The first, Anna Bolena, is episode 53. This one, Maria Stuarda, the second is episode number 54, and the third, Roberto Devereux, is episode 44. Yes, we recorded out of order, but honestly, it's a minor transgression compared to what Donizetti did to English history. We know that opera can be challenging. But everyone loves a good story. And a story set to music is even better. That's why our mission is to make opera, opera for, for everyone. everyone.